Well, praise God for the gift of music. Amen. I'm always amazed what a full and loud sound the choir makes. Um, I found that quite encouraging. Please open your Bibles to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. And whenever we approach the Christmas season, season I consider whether to continue in our study or to do something different. And as we're working our way through Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus, I truly believe that the centrality of the meaning of the incarnation and who Christ is, is shown as clearly here as anywhere else in Scripture. And so I purpose to continue going through. As you think of the gifts we give on Christmas Day, they need to be opened They need to be received for what they are. Christ has come to the world, and yet here in this encounter with Nicodemus, the discussion is who and what sort of person from God is this? What type of gift has God given? And I hope this morning um, we'll see that the, the central issue is that God has given us a gift whom not only are we to believe in Jesus, but we are to believe Jesus, and what he says. And he, I believe this morning, will tell us the significance of his incarnation, will tell us what sort of gift he is. I'd like to begin by reading this entire section, John 2, 23 through 3, 21. The the text is written on the back of the insert in the bulletin. Follow along with me. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe 
if I tell you heavenly things. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Lord God, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that your spirit would move and birth life, that we might receive the testimony of your son, that we might believe the testimony of your son, that we might, in our faith, have life, that we might come to the light, that it might be clearly seen. We've been born of you. This is your doing. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll remind you where we've come in our study of Nicodemus. I've suggested to you that this is a unit and the conundrum presented at the end of chapter two, a faith that apparently doesn't save people. They, they saw Jesus' signs. They saw his miracles. They, they believed in his name, and yet Jesus does not entrust himself to them. This sets up, introduces for us the Nicodemus encounter. Nicodemus' interaction with Jesus is meant to show us a case study of this. In it, we see somebody who believes something about Jesus. He saw signs after all. And yet Jesus, because he knows what's in man, through his challenges, through his rebuke in this text, reveals the inadequacy of Nicodemus' faith and calls for a fuller response. Nicodemus ultimately will come to faith. The, the great evangelist knows what he is doing. He knows what's in man. He knows what Nicodemus needs to hear. And John, recording this for us, um, allows us to hear it as well. So briefly, we'll look at verses 9 through 15. First, beginning with Nicodemus's incredulous confusion. I'll remind you, Nicodemus arrives on the scene with a little bit of pomposity. We know, he says. He's one of the Pharisees. He's part of a group of people who have seen Jesus' miraculous signs in Jerusalem. And he understands God is working with him. His, his opening confession is entirely orthodox. There's, there's nothing wrong in what he says. Look at verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, a respectful title, teacher, called the same title by one of Jesus' earliest disciples in chapter 1. Nothing wrong there. Rabbi, we know 
that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So the end of chapter 2 tells us some people saw some signs. They believed in Jesus. Nicodemus comes forward, speaking for a group of people. We know you're from God, for no one can do these signs you do unless God is with them. And that is good as far as it goes. But Jesus, knowing Nicodemus' inner state, knows he's overconfident. He's a teacher in Israel. He's a rabbi. He is advanced both in religion and as a ruler of the Jews. He has civic prominence, power, and authority. We'll find out in our text this morning. He may even be the or a teacher in Israel. And yet none of that gives him a leg up. None of that provides what is truly needed. And Jesus' opening response Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is completely unprepared, completely unqualified to evaluate Jesus. He comes, his opening statement, an implied question, who are you then? And, and Jesus pushed back against him. Is Nicodemus, what makes you think you would understand and rightly identify truth or what God is doing what, make, what makes you think you're in a position where you would see? Nicodemus initially, confused, thinks Jesus is speaking of earthly birth. It's kind of ridiculous. And so he says, how, how can a man climb up into his mother and be born again? And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. I'm talking about a spiritual birth, Nicodemus. And then he, he likens this birth to the movement of wind. And I suggest again that one of the significant realities that's getting repeated here is Nicodemus's inability. He needs God to do a work in his heart. He needs God's spirit to cleanse him. This is referencing Ezekiel 36. And so you and I need God to do a cleansing work in our heart by his spirit that we cannot make happen. It happens to us. Well, we pick up now with Nicodemus's third and final speech that the flow of the, of the text is Nicodemus says something, Jesus responds, truly, truly, I say to you. Then Nicodemus responds, Jesus responds, truly, truly, I say to you. And now here's Nicodemus's third response, his incredulous confusion. I want to highlight here Nicodemus's unbelief. Nicodemus's unbelief. Now, I think Nicodemus' state here is he's still confused, but he's got some idea of what Jesus is saying. I don't think Nicodemus still thinks we're talking about physical birth. I don't know how much of this he's pieced together. I don't know if Nicodemus has made the connections with Ezekiel 36 that Jesus says he should be making. But I do think he understands Jesus is saying a work of God's spirit needs to happen to you. And until that happens, you can't see, you can't enter his kingdom. Well, this, I think, goes against everything Nicodemus has understood the scripture to teach and mean. We, we know the Pharisees, and we know from later in John, put great stock in being descendants of Abraham, of knowing the Torah, they've been received it, of keeping God's law. These are all the types of things I believe Nicodemus would think would make him acceptable to enter God's kingdom, to see God's kingdom. And Jesus is now saying that Actually, the first step, 
the initial criteria is for God's spirit to do a work of cleansing and renewal in the heart. And this work is not something you can snap your fingers and make happen. The wind blows where it wishes. And so Nicodemus says, how can this be the case? How can this happen? Now, you may think unbelief is a strong term, but Jesus identifies it as exactly that. If you look at verse 11, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, So whatever it is that Jesus has taught that Nicodemus understands, and I do think there is confusion as well as understanding. I don't think he understands how what Jesus is saying connects entirely with the Old Testament, but I think he gets the basic gist of what Jesus is demanding. Nicodemus does not receive it. He does not believe it. And so we do see his unbelief, even with his confusion, which then brings on Jesus' rebuke. Jesus' rebuke. Are you the teacher of Israel and yet do not understand these things? That's got a sting. What Jesus is saying is that what he has taught up to this point is taught in the Old Testament. This, This is why I'm convinced that whatever Jesus is talking about the new birth is not some new teaching. Rather, it's teaching that can be grounded in the Old Testament. And we looked and we saw how in Ezekiel 36, God promises to Israel a future day where he would cleanse them with water, where he would pour out his spirit on them and give them new hearts, take out their heart of stone, give them a heart of flesh. And Jesus is saying, a teacher of Israel, someone who's familiar with God's word, ought to at this point be able to put it together. And so he rebukes him. Jesus is not teaching anything fundamentally new in his requirement that we be born again, that we experience a new birth. Now, at this point, Nicodemus drops out of this text, and and, and the master ascends and is speaking more and more. In fact, if you graph the words, Nicodemus speaks the most in his first salvo, then it gets cut in half, then it gets cut in half, and then he's gone. He'll show up two more times in John's gospel, But for this episode, he is now in the background as Jesus takes center stage and speaks and gives testimony, which brings us then to Jesus' divine testimony. Jesus' divine testimony. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And now what Jesus is saying is, and this is is a radical claim, he's not just trying to argue and persuade Nicodemus. I, I think that's part of the problem. Nicodemus has come to Jesus as an exalted teacher in Israel, and he gives a modicum of respect to Jesus. He calls him rabbi. He says, you're from God, but what's clear is, and I don't want to paint Nicodemus too hostily with Jesus, but he definitely feels free to evaluate, to critique, to weigh what Jesus is saying, much like maybe you or I may if we're opening our Bible. If I was opening my Bible with Dave Lample, I would not feel compelled to receive and believe everything Dave says, but there'd be a give and take, there'd be pushback. He'd suggest something, and I'd say, well, how about this? And that's good and right and fitting for us, But Nicodemus has told Jesus, we know you're from God. 
Well, is Nicodemus treating Jesus like he's from God or like he's a peer or maybe someone a few steps above him? What Jesus is saying here in preparation for the rest of this chapter is that Jesus' own testimony is qualitatively in another league and class to anything Nicodemus has encountered. He's making a a strong claim for deity and authority. He's grounding that authority. And consequently, grounding our need to believe and receive him. We are ethically obligated. If Jesus is who he says he is, if Jesus has come from heaven, then we can have our questions, but our questions don't excuse us from receiving and believing what he says any more than they do Nicodemus. If Jesus is from above, then we must say, yes, Lord, and receive his word. That's what I think Jesus is saying here. First, about his testimony, it is certain. It is certain. This formula, truly, truly, I say to you, is used by Jesus 25 times in John's gospel, and none of the other gospels record this. And in John's gospel, it's clear. Jesus is saying this when there's something solemn, something certain, something trustworthy. Not as though anything Jesus says is not, but he's highlighting. You can bank on this. He's highlighting the certainty. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. And here, Jesus adopts Nicodemus's we from the opening salvo. Perhaps there's some sort of teasing, some sort of gentle rebuke. D.A. Carson, in his commentary, perhaps Jesus is saying something like, well, well, Nicodemus, we know a few things ourselves, we do. But more importantly, Jesus' yous here are all plural. All plural. He's, he's speaking to Nicodemus and those he represents. He's explaining who he is, not just Nicodemus, but to those in Jerusalem who saw the signs, and to us. If I could use the sort of Southern, truly, truly, I say to you all, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you all do not receive our testimony. If I have told you all earthly things and you do not believe, how can you all believe if I tell you heavenly things? And so so these statements and what follows are broadening Whatever whatever Jesus has said that's just for Nicodemus, this is for everybody. So Jesus' testimony is certain. Second, it is biblical. It is biblical. What is the distinction then between earthly things and heavenly things? I think, I'll suggest to you, it's this. Some of what Jesus teaches is already taught in the Old Testament. Some of what Jesus teaches does not require new revelation from God. And some does. Some things Jesus is going to say here in a few minutes are entirely new. But up to this point, everything Jesus has said is testified to in the Old Testament. We we see that in the rebuke. You're the teacher of Israel. You don't know this yet. Nothing Jesus has said up to this point depends upon his own authority. Nothing he said could not be proven from the Old Testament. And so as Nicodemus goes, well, how is this the case? Jesus is saying to him, look, if you won't receive my testimony on what's already been written, what use will it be if I tell you things that go beyond? Because notice tucked into Jesus' statement is a radical claim. We speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen? 
Jesus is claiming experiential knowledge of this working, the wind that no one can see. Jesus has seen it. These truths about which he speaks, Jesus has seen. These are things he knows and has seen. And it'll become clearer that's what he's saying as we follow along. It's certain. It's biblical. And the problem here is it has not been received and believed. Nicodemus, and, and this is where I think we need to ask ourselves some questions. You're here. You're here for a Christmas cantata. And so I'm assuming at some level, I mean, maybe you got dragged here by a loved one, but I'm assuming at some level you find something attractive in Jesus, something attractive and beautiful in the, the birth story of our Lord in Bethlehem, something about the Christmas season that's lovely and beautiful. But we got to open that present up and find out what and who it is. And so the challenge here for Nicodemus, and I'll suggest the challenge here for you and for me, is Will we believe what Jesus says? Will we receive his testimony, or will we just ooh and ah and coo at a cute baby in a manger? That's, that's where Jesus is taking this with Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you have said you know that I'm from God. Will you receive my word as though I'm from God or not? Will we? Will we let Jesus tell us who he is? Will we submit to his own identity and his purpose? Or will we, like Nicodemus, say, well, I'll consider that and I'll chew on that. That's interesting. And how about this? And how about that? that that's the issue. It has not been received and believed. By the way, the use of these terms make it clear this is something set up in the prologue of John. Turn back to John 1, 11 and 12. It's, it's not accidental. John sets up his major themes in the prologue. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood. Notice, we've got born again, new birth, receiving and believing. It's all, this is where John's setting this up. Received and believed. So his testimony is certain. His testimony is biblical. His testimony has not yet been received or believed by Israel and by Nicodemus. Finally, point D, Jesus' testimony, it is authoritative. It is authoritative. What, what do we make of this verse 13? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now first, the English grammar could be taken two ways, but I think what Jesus is saying is not he's already ascended. Some, some take it that way in which case Jesus is speaking prophetically about his future ascension into heaven. I, I would suggest to you that what Jesus is saying is no one has ascended to heaven, but the Son of Man has descended from heaven. Something like that. Except the only, the only person, in other words, who's been to heaven and can talk to you is me. So, so what's the significance of that claim, that Jesus has come down from heaven? Let's look a little later in John chapter 3, where John the Baptist uses almost an identical language and see what significance John the Baptist makes in it. John the Baptist, in verse 31 of chapter 3, is educating his own disciples about the greatness of Jesus. They're, they're perplexed, bemoaning the fact that, that John the Baptist is in his nadir. He's, he's shrinking in prominence. Jesus is being exalted. And John says, that's exactly what I came for. It's exactly why I'm here. My joy is now complete because he is increasing and I am decreasing. And then look at verse 31 and notice the verbal parallels. He who comes from above is above all. 
He who comes from above is above all. The first point John makes is if Jesus is truly from above, he is greater than all. That's the first point, authority, power, right? He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way, if I tell you earthly things. So Jesus alone can speak in non-earthly ways. Jesus alone can speak of what he's seen in heaven. And he bears witness to what he has seen and heard. See, he bears witness, yet no one receives his testimony. There's about eight points of connection here between this and what Jesus has just said that we've looked at. But whoever receives his testimony sets the seal on this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. He gives the spirit without measure. So two, two simple things I think Jesus is getting that John the Baptist is highlighting. If Jesus is truly from heaven, and if he's the only one from heaven, if there's no other contenders for this title, but he alone, no one has ascended and come back, he alone has come down, then he is above all, and he's speaking the very words of God. Now play that back into no one is receiving his testimony, and no one is believing him, and you realize the guilt, and you see why Jesus doesn't entrust himself to someone who simply thinks, well, God's with you, and you're working miracles. That's not enough. You got to believe in Jesus, but you also got to believe Jesus. Or to put it another way, the proof on, do you think Jesus is God, is do you believe what he says? Because if you say you think he's God, but you don't believe what he says, I'd say you don't really think he's God any more than if you say he's God, but you think obeying him is optional. Well, apparently you mean something different by God than I do. Whereas Jesus says, why do you call me a Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Anyway, so Jesus' testimony is certain. It's biblical. It's not been received or believed, and it is authoritative, which brings us to verse 14 and 13, four, sorry, to verses 14 and 15, Jesus now telling us the significance of his coming. This is, I think, a heavenly thing. This is something that is revealed. And it's it's astounding. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So I'll ask you to keep your finger here and turn back to Numbers 21. Numbers 21, just a few verses in Numbers 21, this encounter. And while you're turning there, so Jesus is saying, as this so, once again, just like as the wind, so here, there's some parallels with what happened in Numbers 21 with Moses and the serpent. We'll look at it in just a moment. And Jesus being lifted up. Let's see if we can figure out what they are. What is this authoritative spokesman from heaven? who is above all and speaks the word of God. What what is he saying? Numbers, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, 21, verses four through nine. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea. So Israel is in the wilderness. They're on their way to the promised land. God is giving them miraculous Food every day with manna. He is providing for them. They set out by the way to go to the Red Sea, to go around the Lake of Edom. 
And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Well, there's no food, and well, except for the miraculous food God makes every day. Well, we don't like that. God delivered them from slavery miraculously brought them out of Egypt with spoils from their captors, parted the Red Sea, entered into a covenant with them at Sinai, every day miraculously making food for them. But they're tired of it. Meatloaf again. And they grumble and they complain. And if you're reading about the Israelites and you think those knuckleheads, you're missing the point. They're us. We do this. You and I receive grace upon grace upon grace upon grace from God. And we too grumble and complain because it's the same old grace. I want this, I want that different thing. I want this other gift. I want what they have, whatever. Israel grumbles and complains and they bring judgment. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people so that many people in Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten who sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. So to recount... The people grumble in unbelief, unthankfulness, questioning God's commitment to them, his care for them. And they invite judgment. And judgment comes, and for some, for many, that judgment is a cause of repentance. It's it's why judgment can be a blessing. These people would not have confessed their sins and repented of what they had done had the serpents not come. So even as the serpents are bringing divine justice, they're also a divine mercy calling, calling Israel to confess and repent. And the people come and they confess their sins to Moses. And they even there's a mark of humility, like you talk to the Lord for us. You ask him to forgive our sins. And Moses intercedes for the people and God's provision for their salvation is striking. A bronze serpent. So you mean I need to look on a, to a pole at the very thing that is causing me anguish. The very mark of my sin and judgment is what I need to look to. It's the serpents that have bit them after all. And you're dying from the venom. Okay, look to that serpent. Notice the humility required. Naturally, I think you'd find the sign and the symbol of your own judgment, your own mortality, your own imminent death is something loathsome. God says, look to that. Look to that. And those Israelites who did, who were willing, to, I think, to recognize the justice of their punishment, lived. So, back in John 3, Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, I, I don't think Nicodemus gets this. I don't think anybody prior to the crucifixion gets this. We know that Jesus' disciples don't get this. That We've already seen in chapter 2, after he was raised, they said, aha, that's what he meant when he said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. 
But I do think John expects us to get this. I think the reader is supposed to understand. What does it mean that Jesus is lifted up? Well, elsewhere in John's gospel, it's a clear reference to the crucifixion. The crucifixion. I don't think Nicodemus would have figured that out at this point. But I think we can. Give me one example. John 8, 28. So Jesus said to them, when the Son of Man is lifted up, then you will know that I am he. That I do nothing of my own authority but speak just as the Father taught me. So the the serpent's lifted up. So just as Moses lifted up the serpent, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Here's Jesus telling us the significance of his coming and who he is. He's made a claim to authority. I'm from above, Nicodemus. And therefore, you should just believe and receive what I say. And then he says, here's what I'm here to do. Here to be lifted up so that whoever believes in him, the Son of Man, may have eternal life. Three three points quickly, and we'll we'll bring the choir up and have our closing song in just a moment. First, just like Israel, you're going to need to confess your sin. This lifted serpent was only for those who confessed their guilt to Moses, who asked Moses to intercede from them, who said, we're wrong, we're guilty. I imagine there's some Israelites who were too stubborn to do that. But this salvation came in response to repentance and confession. That's the first point. The second is look in faith to the crucified Son of Man. The similarity being, I think, Look to Jesus on the cross and recognize that is what you deserve. That's what I deserve. It would be right of God to crucify you and me for our sins. It would be fitting. This is deserved. This is what had to be done so that you and I could be made acceptable to God. Jesus came to die for our sins, and we're never going to profit from that. We're never going to share in that until we recognize, I needed him to die for my sins. My sins are so bad. My guilt is so great. It took this sinless son of God's agonizing death on the cross that I could be forgiven. Own that. And then look to that cross and Jesus' work and receive the forgiveness of your sins by faith. Believe in him. And have eternal life. This is why John wrote his gospel, after all. John 20, 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So here is Jesus telling us why he came, claiming divine authority. I'm from heaven, he says, and I'll tell you why I'm here. I'm here so that just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must I be lifted up. I've come to die. And if in my death, you will own the justice of that, the fittingness, this is what you and I deserve. If you look in faith to him in that way, you can have life by doing nothing, simply by faith, trusting in the crucified son. Jesus was born to die. And here, the beginning of John's gospel, he explains to Nicodemus, I am from above. I am greater than all. I speak the words of God, and I'm telling you I am here to be crucified, that those who look and believe, who trust, will have life. 
The reason the incarnation is good news is for this purpose. God's purpose for you is that you would look, that you would believe, that you would have life, and that would be our hope this morning. I'm gonna call the choir up, close in a word of prayer now as we prepare to sing our closing song. Lord God, give us the faith to receive and believe your son's testimony. Give us the sight to see, the ears to hear. Take our hearts of stone or replace them with hearts of flesh that we might look to the cross and have life, that we might believe this one speaking is from above and therefore he is greater than all and he speaks your words. Let us not sit in judgment on him, but rather let him sit in judgment on us and let us receive and believe the testimony of the Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.